Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Pensacola Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Hey, good morning, everybody. Keith Hilbert here, broadcasting live from uh, Business Radio X studios in Pensacola. And this is the Pure H2O series hosted by uh, Ms. Lori Murphy. Good morning. Good morning, Keith. And thank you again. And this is what, session four, I guess. I think uh, so, yeah. I think it's going to be one of the most exciting ones uh, to date. I'm really excited uh, this morning. Of course, my name is Lori Murphy. I'm the executive director of Emerald Coast Keeper, and I'm your water keeper. And each week we try to talk about environmental issues that are directly or indirectly related to healthy and clean water um, and our local community. And I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Sherry Myers, who is the city councilwoman for District 2. And we are going to be discussing Carpenter's Creek. Uh, it's been kind of a controversial topic over the years. And uh, we want to kind of fill you in on, and update you on what's happening, um, what's going to be going on, what options that we have to um, try to fix this riparian zone. But I want to introduce you to Sherry Myers. Uh, she was elected to represent District 2 in November of 2010. Uh, includes uh, District 2, the uptown of Pensacola, uh, including Cordova Mall, any businesses, restaurants, commercial rental properties, Sacred Heart Hospital, and many lovely communities that are in close proximity to the core business area, including Carpenter's Creek. Sherry received a Bachelor of Arts from Vanderbilt Peabody College of Education and Human Development, Nashville, Tennessee, and a Juris Doctor from the University of District of Columbia, David Clark School of Law, Washington, D.C. She holds licenses with the Florida Bar, the Kentucky Bar, the Tennessee Bar, and has been admitted to practice in three federal district courts. Sherry has served three years on the Escambia Pensacola Human Relations Commission, serves on the Bicycle Pedestrian Committee of the Transportation Planning Organization, and has organized and served on the Escambia County Mass Transit Citizens Advisory Committee. She is very passionate about working throughout the Pensacola community to improve compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Good morning, Sherry, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, let's talk about Carpenter's Creek. Um, can you kind of give us a brief history of kind of where it is, what's been going on with it over the years, how it's kind of transitioned to where it is today, and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, let me describe the district that I represent because uh, this, this creek is very important uh, in the city of Pensacola. The district that I represent in the city of Pensacola runs from Davis Highway to, to uh, 12th Avenue, down even some parts of Bayou Tahar, uh, down to Bayou Tahar, and from basically just uh, south of Fairfield to Olive Road. So in the district uh, is the city's primary commercial core consisting of literally hundreds of, build, of uh, businesses, uh, for instance, uh, Cordova Mall, all of the businesses up and down uh, Airport and uh, Ninth Avenue and 
um, Brent Lane, Bayou Boulevard. Uh, so it's it's a very vibrant um, uh, commercial community. We also have a lot of uh, residential uh, communities in the district. But Carpenter Creek runs through the district. It runs through not only District 2 in the city, but District 5 uh, and District 3 or 4, District 4, the East Hill area. And it, uh, of course, empties into Bayou Tahar. So this is a continuous body of water, and there are many people who live along Carpenter Creek who own property along Carpenter Creek and Bayou Tahar, as well as many businesses. And the problem is that over the years, we have allowed businesses to locate on on Carpenter Creek and use the creek basically to dump stormwater, Mm -hmm. untreated, uh, just... For instance, you and I, but let, let me describe a little bit of, uh, how, of the topography of the area. It's very hilly, hills and valleys in the district, the part of the, the district I represent along Carpenter Creek. So if you can imagine, at one time, probably 50, 60 years ago, that was mostly wooded area. We had beautiful hills and valleys, and Carpenter Creek was a very vibrant creek and quite deep, much deeper than it is now. Mm. And so all of these hills and valleys were full of lush longleaf pines and uh, heritage oaks and a a great diverse uh, ecosystem, wildlife habitat. And, I mean, basically, it's, it's been pretty much destroyed. We allowed clear-cutting within 15 feet of the creek. In the riparian zone. And so, uh, Carpenter Creek, as things developed and people bought property along the creek, property owners may not know it, but... The city and the county tell me that property owners along the creek own to the middle of the creek bed, which means that's a convenient way for the government to not have to address issues on uh, private property, such as erosion caused by, by floods. And we've had some serious erosion problems along Carpenter Creek that have that has resulted in people losing 20 to 30 feet of their backyards, tr- a huge trees falling into the creek. Yeah, didn't you see that about a year or so ago? You were there. The Pensacola News Journal did a story, and you had visited some of these right. people's properties. Tell, tell the well, listeners what you saw. Exactly. During the April 29th, April 30th uh, storm in 2014, uh, the... Uh, water was flowing with such intensity down Carpenter Creek 
that, uh, and it was very high too, very high. Uh, it washed away people's yards. And of course, they, some of the yards had very large trees and the trees toppled over into the creek and trees are still there. Uh, now the city has done, did get a grant to, to do some, uh, remediation along the most uh, severe, severely impacted by the storm. And what exactly did they do with the remediation? Well, some trees were removed. Uh, some of the creek bank uh, was repaired and, it, and hardened, unfortunately. Mm. So, uh, you know, so basically that, that's what was done. But in it, it, the overall scheme of things, though, it was a very uh, minor <laughs> uh, approach to uh, restoring uh, the the stream. Uh, the stream is full of uh, sediment. Uh, it's very shallow at at uh, in certain areas, in most areas, as a matter of fact. Uh, there are a lot of pollutants in the stream, but this is the issue. Um, Carpenter Creek should be viewed, in my opinion, as an infrastructure that is needed um, to prevent flooding and to promote uh, a diverse ecosystem and wildlife habitat, as well as providing uh, pleasure for, for people to enjoy nature. Many cities throughout the United States are restoring urban streams and creeks. I think that this creek sh- should be at the very top of the city's priority when it comes to restoring the environment, aside from things like Bio Chico. Uh, those bodies of waters. But Carpenter Creek gets very little attention by public officials. Uh, But I believe that there are very sensible approaches that can be taken if we have the will. And so one of the things, one of the approaches I, I, I am trying to start with is to hold town hall meetings, uh, reaching out to all of the property owners along Carpenter Creek, whether in my district, because, you know, the creek, it doesn't recognize boundaries. So That's true. Uh, Very true. A creek is a creek. We're so. going to reach out to every property owner along Par- Carpenter Creek and Bayou Tahar uh, to come together, and uh, some will be residential owners and some are small business owners and some are large corporate owners. For instance, Publix um, uh, is on Carpenter Creek. Uh, We have uh, the Rave Theater, uh, that that whole complex. And Heritage Oaks Apartments on Davis Uh, Highway, which we've recently Uh, had some issues with. but the heritage oaks is pretty typical of how things were built uh, 
in that area back probably in the 70s. There was a big boom in uh, high-density housing complexes like Heritage uh, Heritage Apartments, uh, uh, Chapin's Landing on Underwood, just to mention, mention a few. And back then, they didn't require them to have a stormwater plan. So with the, in the case of the Heritage Apartments, all of the stormwater just uh, runs from this very hilly area mm-hmm. down into the creek. And, and it's... And it slopes down into the creek. So everything from the entire parking lot, it could be anywhere from cigarette butts to uh, gasoline and oil leaking from vehicles sitting in there, debris. Anything that lands in that parking lot is going directly into that creek. And it was designed Mm -hmm. to do that. Yes, ma'am, it is. And it's it's channelized to go into the creek. Uh, To make matters worse, uh, they have uh, their dumpsters there on the creek. Mm. that uh, have uh, created a lot of uh, issues lately. And thanks to you that uh, and your efforts hopefully will will be resolved. (laughs) But I think there are a lot of things that the government can do. I, as a city council person, I can use my position to bring people and resources together. The first resource we need to bring together are people. I agree. And their ideas, their passions, and uh, their love for the creek. You know, I meet so many people constantly who tell me, I've lived here all of my life, and I used to swim in Carpenter Creek. Carpenter Creek at one time was a major recreational destination. Kind of like Coldwater Creek yeah, in, and, uh, yes, in and, Melton? Yeah, You're serious. Pe- no, I'm not. People used to dive and picnic oh my and boat along the the creek banks. But, you know, if you look at the vegetation on Carpenter Creek that we saw yesterday, a lot of that is kind of junk vegetation. It's right. really not, it's even, not natural. It, no, we mm-hmm. saw uh, a lot of popcorn trees. Yes, we did. And those are invasive species. And so the creek vegetation doesn't look anything like it, it used to. And so at at one time it was a major recreational destination and uh there's so many people who grew up people my age who grew up uh enjoying recreational activity in Carpenter Creek and uh, of course you didn't have all of the asphalt covered pieces mm. of you know commercial properties, and dense housing along the creek that you have today. But let me tell you, there are things we can do. We need stronger code enforcement along Carpenter Creek. I don't think dumpsters should be allowed. Absolutely not. uh, On Carpenter Creek, and they should be required to be, I would say at least 50 to 75 feet from Carpenter Creek and should not be located in an area of a property where you have stormwater uh, designed to run off of the property into the creek. Now, there are other things uh, that uh, recently I worked with a property owner that just uh, bought some property on Carpenter Creek to open a restaurant. 
And we were able to get the, I say we, the city council, we were able to reach an agreement with the new owners that, uh, that, that 20 feet from the creek is designated a conservation zone, which means they will not be cutting down trees. There's some beautiful, beautiful trees, uh, there is where the Saki Cafe is going to be, our grill restaurant. They're moving across the, from the other side of Carpenter Creek. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, one mm-hmm. of the things that attracted them to the the building, which is the Christian Science Church building, fabulous piece of property, is the beauty of the, the property they felt feel will be a great amenity and attraction to their customers. So they want to uh, preserve it in its beautiful, natural uh, state there along the creek. Uh, So working with, you know, private businesses that appreciate uh, the the public's desire to be in environments that are beautiful, peaceful, uh, is something that I, I really appreciate and I think that we need to build on in terms of uh, viewing the creek not only uh, as uh, a part of nature that needs to be preserved, but also to think of it in terms of economic development. Certainly. Uh, so people are much more inclined to want to come to a place that is attractive with beautiful vegetation and trees and that's very appealing to the public so restoring the creek and incentivizing businesses along the creek i think is good for economic development for instance one way to incentivize businesses is to incentivize them to green up their parking lots this is very important, and I'll tell you a good source of information to go to for uh, information on greening up existing parking lots is the EPA website. Mm-hmm. has a lot of information on green parking lots and retrofitting uh, parking lots. And I think that, that this is one of the major efforts I, w- I would like to see along Carpenter Creek when it comes to our commercial businesses. I think that um, we need to look for ways to incentivize them to change uh, their parking lots uh, uh, by putting in attractive swells and using uh, pervious surfacing, uh, replacing impervious with uh, pervious surfacing, putting in attractive swells with vegetation. So we planting. Yes, we need to rethink how we do parking lots. They don't have to be asphalt covered parking lots. Correct. Especially here in Florida with the sun and the amount of rain that we get and the weather that we have. And we have two tropical systems in the Atlantic right now. And we have climate change that's inevitable. And so we need to start thinking about the future of our community. You're absolutely right, and I can't think of any better place in Pensacola to start thinking about doing uh, really 
nice environmental projects than our primary commercial core. Um, let me uh, tell you about a project that I think will dovetail very nicely into uh, my desire to work with businesses, and that is our Climate Change Task Force. I was instrumental in getting the, cli- the city council to establish a climate mitigation task force. Uh, it's called the Climate Change Mitigation and Adaptation Task Force. And it will be having its first meeting, I believe, in September. I believe we still have one opening or maybe one or two openings on that board if anyone is interested. Maybe I should apply for that position. I wish you would. (laughs) Uh, But my idea about the task force is we want to look at how can we build things better. And one of the issues that the task force might want to address is greening up parking lots, incentivizing businesses, and and also um, looking at how we allow building uh, uh, buildings to be built along bodies of water, and uh, so. I'm really very excited about this task force because I think a lot of good is going to come out of it. Uh, Councilman Spencer has one of his passions is uh, form-based code. And so that is an issue that the Climate uh, Adaptation Task Force might look at. What changes do we need to bring about in our building codes to promote uh, better stewardship of the environment and also to position us to uh, be able to withstand severe weather events. Exactly, because it seems to always be an issue. Uh, Also, I think bringing about best management practices in the building and design of the buildings as far as Let me give you an example. I was out at Pensacola Beach at the wastewater treatment plant there, and they have all kinds of containers labeled hazardous, just sitting right there outside in the elements, probably about mm, 10, 20 yards from the water, and they're sitting there. Well, over periods of time, that plastic hardens, the sun beats down on it, you can get cracks in it. Chemicals can leak out of it. And where do you think that's going to go? It's going right into the sound where people are swimming, where uh, families are vacationing. And it happens to be that way with whether you're in an industrial plant, whether you are a retailer, whether you have a restaurant. There are always issues with the proper way to dispose of things and what sources from packaging to delivery. Uh, to fueling, or what have you. Those are just a few examples. Does this business uh, deal with on a day-to-day basis where exposure to chemicals and sediments and debris can actually 
be going into the storm water um, when we have these large events. And as you know, if you go back the last 10, 20 years, our events are becoming more extreme and they're becoming more frequent. And so we kind of have to look at that as a whole. Well, let's look at the worst case scenario and let's, let's build our codes based on that. Um, that way, you know, and, and keep it a living document where things can be adapted and changed as, you know, things happen. One of the things that uh, I am concerned about is the amount of trash that I see on certain streets that, and trash that ends up in our waterways. Uh, for instance, uh, I live in a neighborhood right off of Burgess Road. So to get in and out of my neighborhood, I, I'm on Burgess Road every day. And there's a lot of trash on Burgess Road and uh, on other streets that uh, school children walk down. Because what they're doing is they stop at a little convenience store. And as they, you know, walk home back and forth, you know, to school and home, uh, they are eating uh, stuff that they buy at the little store and they're throwing it on the ground. Well, that eventually ends up and a huge retention pond on Lanier. And you can go there and see that it is has got a lot of trash around the edges of the water. And I don't know who gets in that uh, retention pond and cleans all of that out. I don't know where all of that stuff eventually goes. But, you know, if I, I think that we need to have a different approach to litter control. I think when we identify certain businesses that seem to generate uh, a lot of litter on the ground, mm -hmm. that perhaps we should look at maybe, um, yeah, maybe they should have to pay uh, some fees to uh, allow us to get money to go and pick it, uh, pick it, pick up litter. Uh, generally, uh, I don't know that anybody uh, picks up the litter along Burgess Road. I I do from time to time if I'm walking down Burgess Road, uh, that very dangerous road to walk down. But I will pick uh, up the litter. But uh, litter, plastic, all of those types of uh, products are very dangerous for the environment. I'd also like to speak about the use of pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides. Oh, yeah, that's my pet peeve right there, especially along the water's edge. Well, mm -hmm. these chemicals have an extremely harmful impact on the environment and on human health. So curbing the use of herbicides, fungicides, and pesticides along bodies of water has got to be addressed. And uh, it's a subject that a lot of people don't want to talk about because they consider how they maintain their yards personal, kind of like what type of deodorant or perfume do I wear? <laughs> That's you know? very true. But, it's kind of a status. If you're uh, in East Hill and you have a property on Bayou Tahar and you, you know, I walk through there on occasion and I see the little sticks in the yards from um, companies that are out there spraying pesticides as well as uh, nitrates and phosphates and for greening their lawns. And that 
it runs right into the to Bayou Tahar. Well, I, I was shocked when I moved to East Hill and saw the amount of pesticides that are routinely sprayed on yards every day. And I did not feel that was a safe environment for me to live in and certainly not a safe environment for our uh, Bayou Tahar and wildlife. Um, I think that there should be stronger regulations of the lawn spray industry. I wonder if people really know what their lawns are being sprayed with. And even if they need, well, I question whether uh, lawns need to have pesticides put on them most of the time. But the Florida Administrative Code requires these companies to test the soil for uh, insects before they spray. I don't know if they do because I've never uh, had it done on my property, would not have it done on my property. Um, but the, there, you would think that 40 years after Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, came out, and how many millions of people have read that book? And that we would have a greater appreciation for the harmful impact of these chemicals on the environment and on human health. And we do know that these chemicals are very, very hazardous to the developing fetus, that pregnant women should definitely not be exposed, in my opinion, to these chemicals. Because the developing fetus does not have an immune system. And there have been lots of studies on the impact of low levels of these chemicals that are in pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides on the developing fetus. Um, We know that certain chemicals and pesticides have been correlated to health problems like Parkinson's disease. Uh, and other diseases, we know that herbicides impact the uh, gender, the gender of frogs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is just so much information out here that, in my opinion, it's almost inexcusable to not know something about the harmful effects of these chemicals. Right. And I think the public just basically trusts, oh, well, you know, you're such and such company and you come and spray, you must, you must be regulated. It must be safe. Um, And people don't take the time to really know what's going on and what they're purchasing. Well, they need to read the labels. They need to ask for the material safety data sheet. Anytime they have their house sprayed with any of these chemicals or their lawns, they need to ask for the material safety data sheet. Do not take the word of uh, the company. They'll tell you, for instance, that Promethrian is um, harmless. I have been told in the past 
that melathion is harmless to humans, very harmful to humans, and very harmful to the environment, especially to bees and pollinators. And there's a a lot of great resources people can go to. The National Institute for Health um, has a lot of scientific uh, literature on all of these chemicals. So the Florida Department of Health is also a good resource. I don't know if it is or not. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Tell me why. I have a real beef with them. Well, you tell me why. That's what we're here for. Yes, ma'am. In fact, I wrote a very good paper on an issue involving the Florida Department of Health about, I think it was in 2003. can't remember what year it was. Uh, it was when the West Nile virus started uh, becoming uh, prominent uh, in, in the press and uh, very terrible uh, disease. Well, the Florida Department of Health and our local health department and mosquito control decided they were going to spray us airily with NALAD, an organophosphate. And they did. They held a press conference and they told the citizens they didn't have anything to worry about. It didn't have any negative health effects on humans. Just stay in your house. Well, guess what? I made an open records request and I got the material safety data sheet for the product they used. Even the material safety data sheet did not make the claims that our health officials made. They lied to us. My goodness. And apparently they didn't read the material safety data sheet because the material safety data sheet for the product that was used said it was harmful to humans and especially to certain vulnerable populations. You would think that the director of the Department of Health would have taken the step necessary steps to do that before they implemented the spraying of this product. They also uh, product. Didn't tell people how dangerous it was to birds. So I, I actually wrote a fairly extensive paper on, on that uh, topic, the aerial spraying of uh, Escambia County. And um, so do I trust public health officials to tell us the truth? Well, to a certain extent I do, but I caution people to do their own research. Right. And I think that's the bottom line. And getting back to Carpenter's Creek, um, I think that the folks who have businesses or residential property along the creek bed in the riparian zone need to also do their own research and find out what the right thing to do is. And there's a restore project in the works, I hear. I think it's number two in its category. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. The Restore Act... Uh, is an act that provides a certain pot of money, BP money, um, to uh, remediate the environment and the economic uh, impact 
from the loss of the BP oil spill. So I don't know how much money Escambia County will ultimately get, but the Escambia County set up what is called the Restore Advisory Committee. And it met for two years and took uh, applications uh, from the public uh, for projects. There was, has been a lot of public in- input into the process uh, of um, you know, submitting project ideas to the Restore Advisory Committee. So 124 projects were submitted by various groups and individuals. And one of the projects submitted is a project to uh, restore Carpenter Creek uh, and uh, Bayou Tahar. And it is ranked very high by the um, um, consultant, the restore consultant that we hired, and also by the Restore Advisory Committee. So... um, Let's just talk about that project for a minute. Yeah, let's talk about that project. It's called the Carpenter Creek Restoration and Watershed Revitalization to Ensure Public Safety, Interest, Benefits, and Education. It says the project will apply various proven restoration techniques and best management practices for stream and floodplain restoration and low-impact development. And um, so... I'm not sure where it's ranked. At one time, it was ranked number two out of uh, 124 projects. I think it still is. Last I checked, it was number two behind 11 Mile Creek. Okay. So, um, now, unfortunately, um, the, the, the mayor's office has uh, lobbied the Board of County Commissioners for projects, restore projects that the mayor's office is interested in. One of those projects, for instance, being uh, building a berth or repairing a berth at uh, the port. Another project has to do with uh, cleaning up uh, the water at uh, downtown to uh, basically allow for the building of a marina. Uh, and so, unfortunately, the city council has been not very much engaged. We have something like close to maybe 20-plus pro- restore projects that have been submitted to the Restore Advisory Committee. And by the way, their work is all, already done. They've already evaluated them and scored them. Right, But these projects that are in the city are all very good projects. However, the city council has not communicated with the Board of County Commissioners uh, any preference for any projects. It's my hope that the Carpenter Creek project is one that is selected by the Board of County Commissioners to... What the Board of County Commissioners have to do, uh, they have to decide what projects that have been recommended by the Restore Advisory Committee are going to be put in what's called a multi-year 
plan that has to be developed and sent to the federal government, to the Department of the Treasury. Sounds like a long process. Well, uh, unfortunately, you're talking about maybe two or three years. Now, the good thing is that the, for us, is that the commissioners have not had public hearings or meetings to discuss uh, which projects they want to include in the county's multi-year plan. So the citizens still have an opportunity to weigh in on that decision. So I would urge people, uh, if they're interested in uh, restore money for Carpenter Creek, that uh, they contact uh, the Board of County Commissioners. That makes sense to me. Uh, how how is, has the city developed any type of plan to work with the county commissioners in the uh, decisions of uh, the restore projects as far as what they recommend? Uh, do, uh, is the city allowed to have any, um, basically, any say-so over which projects that they would prefer? Well, yes. Uh, unfortunately, we have a form of government that uh, has two branches, you know, the executive branch and the legislative branch now. So the mayor's office has been lobbying the board of county commissioners for their the projects the mayor's office wants. However, there's been no uh, information coming from the city council regarding the projects that the city council as a body may feel is a priority. So how can we bridge that gap? Um, It's probably not, well, at a governmental level, it's probably not going to be bridged. So it's going to be, have to be up to the citizens to express, uh, you know, their desires to the Board of County Commissioners. It, w- it will not come from the city council. Um, it, um, the city council held a workshop on restore projects three council members showed up. That's not a good sign. That's three not a good sign at all. That tells me that uh, the city council as a body uh, doesn't, uh, well, what it tells me is that they don't care. Yeah, they're not taking now, responsibility for. To hear ideas about millions of dollars that can be spent and you're in the city. And, and maybe, in their districts, and, too. And, and in their districts. Uh, then what they're saying to me is that they're fine with the mayor making that decision. And I think that's the wrong approach. It is the wrong approach. You know, this these are projects that are going to affect a large portion of the community. Everybody should be involved in making those decisions. Carpenter Creek runs throughout the entire east side of the city and Bayuta and empties into Bayuta Harbor. 
correct, which is an impaired body of water at this time. So you're talking about uh, a large area of the city that's impacted by Carpenter Creek and by Utah. It is. So what are we going to do, Sherry? Let's talk about what what the future is. What what are our plans? Well, I think the first first thing is to try to bring people together, uh, starting with town hall meetings and public meetings, uh, to get ideas on how to approach uh, both the city and county governments. to adopt programs that will incentivize businesses uh, to try to address the stormwater issues, the, the flowing of water from parking lots into Carpenter Creek, trying to educate the public and property owners along Carpenter Creek as to best environmental practices. I would like to see a prohibition against spraying pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides along Carpenter Creek. And I do know there's there's some very well-maintained yards that spray right up to Bayou Tahar and Carpenter Creek. I've seen it, taken pictures of it. Uh, that type of practice should be prohibited. Uh, so I don't want anybody to say that I'm Councilwoman Myers is advocating a prohibition on lawn spray. Uh, I would hope that people would do it voluntarily. I will tell you that in some cities in Canada, there are laws against uh, what's called cosmetic lawn spraying, but uh, I'm, I don't think that kind of extreme approach would be acceptable. <laughs> right. Well, maybe we can come up with some kind of middle ground and maybe give these folks information. Um, well, how much time are we looking at here before the final decisions on the Restore Act are going to be determined? I don't know. I, I don't know what the... Uh, Board of County Commissioner schedule is. Um, so possibly uh, the county administrator might know. Okay. Uh, though I have not uh, spoken to him about that particular issue. I have uh, other issues I, I've spoken to him about uh, that do impact our bodies of water, and that is mosquito spraying. Um, I think should be a very last resort in any arsenal having to do with mosquito control. I have talked to the board account of the county uh, administrator regarding all of the uh, used tire businesses in the county that allowed them to have tires on site that are not covered, that are just full of water, uh, and creating uh, a lot of mosquito breeding. I would So I've talked to him about that because I really think that we need to be a lot more aggressive about mosquito breeding because the use of mosquito spray 
uh, only kills adult mosquitoes in flight, and it is very hazardous uh, to bees and other pollinators and to bodies of water. In fact, I have the material safety data sheet on the chemicals the Scambia County Mosquito Control uses, and every one of them say do not spray along bodies of water. So um, we need to, uh, you know, demand that our government be responsible, too, with the use of uh, chemicals. Right, right. So the environment. So it sounds to me like um, we as residents also really need to start taking responsibility uh, for our lawns, mosquitoes, garbage, uh, and and maybe uh, put together our own best management practices as well, because there seems to be more residential areas than there are business areas along Carpenter Creek. Would you agree with that? Yes. And, I, you know, I think when people know the truth about uh, chemicals and certain environmental practices, I think most people will opt out to to do things that are environmentally friendly. Right. Uh, especially if it's a, you know, a residential property owner. Uh, sometimes businesses, especially large businesses, uh, uh, will be motivated by good publicity when they are good uh, stewards of the environment. That's, that's so, a good point. So I really think, you know, we, and, and the district uh, that uh, I represent, we have a lot of big corporate uh, property owners, and I think we really need to approach them to take some very positive uh, steps toward especially greening up their parking lot. And they should be mentors, and they should be the leaders, and I think we should call it the Sherry Myers movement <laughs> for Escambia County. I don't know about that, but I, I will tell you, we have some businesses that have really done a great job of landscaping. Uh, for instance, the Hilton Garden Inns on Airport. I love the variety of trees that they planted there on that property. Well, how do they keep their grass so green? Well, when they, <laughs> uh, you know, believe it or not, there you don't have to do a all that spray. In fact, if you spray during the summertime, it may kill the grass. That's one thing some of the lawn care people don't tell you. Right. You know, uh, is that uh, spraying chemicals at certain times of the year can actually have a bad uh, consequence. Sure. Well, Sherry, it looks like we're wrapping up our show, and I want you to tell the public how can they get a hold of you? Uh, how can they reach you? Phone numbers or emails or through the county or uh, LinkedIn or Facebook? Do you have any social media pages where folks can get in contact with you if they have any questions about what you talked about today? Yes, I'm very easy to find. <laughs> um, People can contact me at uh, S, that's my initial and my first name, Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, at cityofpensacola.com. You can also just Google City of Pensacola and click on City Council members. Uh, My cell phone number is 850-490-0054. And uh, 
I also have uh, another phone number, 850-484-0902. But the best way to get in touch with me is just send me an email. I check my emails all day long, and I will respond. I respond to emails. I respond to phone calls. I respond to citizens, period, regardless of how you contact me. Uh, so I would love to hear from uh, the public. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm hoping that uh, I-, I will be getting out a lot of information about an up t- uh, upcoming town hall meeting on Carpenter Creek. Uh, it will probably be in the middle of October. So um, I'm working on the logistics of getting that meeting together and getting it advertised and getting mailers and flyers out to, to people uh, about that meeting. Great. Well, Sherry, thank you again so much for meeting me down here this morning. It was a lot of great information for our listeners. And um until the town hall meeting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. So you want to give Emerald Coast Keepers contact stuff? Well, sir, Emerald Coast Keeper, you can reach me uh, at Laurie, L-A-U-R-I-E, at emeraldcoastkeeper.org. My cell phone number, 850-292-5960. I also have many social media platforms and my website, at www.emeraldcoastkeeper.org. You can tune in and listen to this broadcast as it will become a podcast. You can review it and uh, past and future podcasts also on my website. So thank you again. So you know the champions of, of causes when they give out their cell phone numbers, right? So, oh, thank <laughs> you very much, Keith. Thank you. Here. That's right. So, um, okay, you guys, this has been Pure H2O. Uh, under uh, Pensacola Business uh, Radio. And you guys can find us at Picola Radio X on Twitter. You can find us at Picola BRX on Facebook. Or you can find us on our website at Pensacola.BusinessRadioX.com. I want to thank both of you all for coming in today. And this has been Pensacola Business Radio, where business is good and your work matters. Mm-hmm.